Ryan, it's been, it actually seems like I just saw you like two months ago, but it's been like, I think two years since the last time I saw you. Man, when did we, oh, we saw each other in Denver at that festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's almost two years ago. <laughs> yeah, man, Whew. That that's crazy. <laughs> at a live event uh, that was uh, attended by uh, quite a few people. So Yeah, it, it was, it was easy flying and hanging out with people and yeah it was, it was wild that, that was that was maybe the last like show i flew to i think i can't remember yeah it's hard to hard to hard to like my timeline is like totally off for the last two years i think uh i might add that my timeline is off even within days of each other man it's, oh absolutely it, yeah like week to week you know, like Monday through Saturday, everything just seems like time is in a weird warp right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get like slightly like tense because I feel like some email hasn't been responded to and it's, you know, I feel like it's been a month and I look and I'm like, oh, it's been like three days, <laughs> you know, like between Monday and Friday always seems like a really long time to me lately. It's very odd. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Have, uh, have you been vaccinated? Just a question I've been asking a lot of people these days. I have, yeah. I got my second shot, uh, the Pfizer vaccine, last Thursday. And it's Wednesday as we record this. So it's been just about a week. And I I didn't really have any side effects. Like I, I felt like a little weird, like kind of like cr creeping tingle in a couple spots in my body like that day and the next day. And then was like exercising a few days later and could tell that I was like tired, like I couldn't get a full breath. But other than that, I was okay. That's good, man. I, yeah, I, uh, yeah it's, it's, ro it's rolling out and I think it's good. You know, I mean, we're, we're um, you know, we're trying to turn a corner on this thing and, and uh, you know, it's, 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 I'm hopeful that sooner or later, hopefully by the fall, like there'll be some sort of live experiences going on. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, it's like one of those things, like, I don't know when, I guess the numbers are down enough everywhere that somebody can deem that open, you know? And it's funny because in certain circles, not our world, but in like these kind of regular bar goer, local cover band things, that shit's still going on a lot of places. It's going on here. I mean, it's been going on here almost the whole time. And, and, and that's very weird to like see this because it seems so surreal because people that are being responsible and that see, see this as a worldwide scenario, they, they don't partake in that, but people that just live their life, like in a few mile radius, like they've, a lot of them been living the same way. And it's, it's kind of wild to see. Just, just raging full on with no masks or anything like that. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. I mean, it's been weird. And, uh, so, I mean, it, Kentucky's been okay overall and handled it pretty well, but like that shit's super weird. And it's a weird feeling. I mean, I, I don't know. Like I'm obviously I know New York's been in like a very different scenario than here, but like it, it feels really fucked up when you're like, I gave up my entire life, my mission as a human being to like, you know, for the greater good. And then you just see these people just like, going on about it like nothing's happening and it's really it's hard it's hard to it's hard to not feel like why can't i do that you know and it's hard to know when to return to it and i don't know it's fucking weird 
Yeah, I, I had a similar experience. Um, like about a year ago, I moved out to New Jersey. And uh, okay. it's, um, you know, Jersey's kind of a mixed bag of, uh, you know, super uh, right-wing types and progressive kind of, uh, you know, left-leaning people. Um, you know, and down where our practice space is, uh, it's it's in a town that's, you know, it's like 50-50, I would say. You see, like, Trump flags and all that stuff. And I remember, like, Saturday night, uh, you know, leaving practice, and uh, there's, like, a coffee place down in the town part. And um, I did, like, a quick turn into the town, and I drove through the main drag. And there were, like, people, like, on the sidewalks, like, spilling out from these places. And I was, like... <laughs> no masks i'm like motherfucker i just canceled the tour with napalm death and like you guys are out there like you know like it's uh you know like every his life is, is normal you know it's right it's so fucked up man so i could totally totally relate to what you're saying on that level yeah i mean i'm sure everybody is saying this and like i, I don't want to like become redundant in other things i've said elsewhere but like i just think for most people the world is the world is there is is like a really small place you know it's like I, I think for most americans and maybe everybody everywhere it's like you're so focused on your town your neighborhood and if you go on a trip you go to like very obvious places like you go to fucking florida or you go to las vegas and and i think for people like us the world is so small in your in your perception because we have friends everywhere and we've traveled everywhere that like you know, for us, this was a worldwide thing to like try to do better. And a lot of things that, you know, that affect the world and affect humans we see as like a worldwide thing. And, and I just think most people just can't see that. Most people don't have the comprehension of that, maybe because they haven't been taught that. I, I, I don't know. You know, that's, that's part of that, like xenophobia too, I guess. But yeah, it's, it's weird, man. It's been a weird, weird thing to like see that, see how little people care in that like grand scheme. I also noticed, uh, you know, since you and I haven't, I haven't seen you in person, I've been, uh, you know, checking out your Instagram over the last like 12 months and you've been very active. I see with, um, a lot of the political stuff that's going on, you know, or has been going on, especially towards the end of 2020 and, uh, all the protests and all that. Um, you know, I mean, there was a lot of that stuff in New York as well. Um, I mean, I, I'm only, I only know people like you in, in Louisville and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a feel, I guess, for the overarching vibe of people down in Kentucky, but how, how has it been living in, in, uh, you know, the Midwest and like having all this kind of unrest going on? Like, how has that affected you like personally? Um, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat in some ways in that, you know, I only know who I know, right? Like I only know my friends and my family and, and I see other people and I, and I try to learn from them and, and have some concept of, of their lives. But, you know, I only have my own perspective and, you know, I, I think the, the thing for me is like that there's not, I, I am not affected by any of this shit. Like if I wanted to stay in my home, I'm not affected by anything. I'm not affected by racism. I'm, I'm 
only affected by the pandemic and that like my touring world was taken away and I can't, you know, I don't go to the fucking movies anymore or whatever. But like, so I think there's this concept from a lot of people in Louisville who aren't touched by any struggles in life and aren't oppressed and, and see, see a lot of like, there's a lot of fear on their side. And, uh, and there's a lot of like this concept that like there was this massive unrest and this massive destruction of like our downtown and things like that. And like, you know, a lot of businesses that went out of business because of the pandemic, it's been blamed on, on, um, on the movement for black lives, which is like just another form of insidious racism. You know, it's like, there's a worldwide pandemic. Of course, lots of businesses are going to close, but there'll be this perception. If you drive downtown, you see an empty storefront. Oh, that closed because of this. And that's not the case. Um, and I, I think like I'm saying about having a worldwide perspective, I mean, I, of course I knew there was racism in Louisville and I knew that our police force was fucked up, but I had this idea that we lived in like a more progressive city and we don't, you know, like we, even our democratic governor, he's just another, I mean, democratic uh, mayor. He's just another politician. He's just another old rich white dude. You know, I mean, when, when people started protesting, he sent in the national guard and they fucking killed people, you know? And so um, that was eye opening to me and I did try to be involved. You know, I went to a lot of protests and went to a lot of marches and I raised a lot of money through my outlets and things like that. And I tried to do as much as I could, but you know, it's one of those weird things. But of course, like when I'm tired, I still, I come back home to my house. Right. And I, and I, and you know, it's that thing where like as a, as a white person, activist you can like still turn it off you still have that like ease of life that privilege that like that a lot of people don't so you know I've tried to do as much good as I could um but it's interesting it was interesting to see like how people perceived it and how brutal the police force was and uncaring and continues to be and how through it all, despite the fact that we were maybe one of the two biggest focuses of the movement last year with Breonna Taylor's murder, there still was not much change. You know, it's like outside of George Floyd, like everybody's eyes were on us and our, and our, our state and and local government didn't do much. You know I mean? They, they did some platitudes and they did some small things and then they just kind of went back to business as usual, which is usually like firing people and shuffling them around and shit like that. And like putting new faces at the head of organizations that essentially stay the same. And, um, so, you know, that's been frustrating and and it's been eye opening, you know, but, um, I don't know. I I mean, I, I, I've been really inspired by and like proud of how many people have come out and how much of a movement there was here locally because it is a pretty sleepy town. So that's been inspiring to see. And there's still a lot of people out there like putting feet on the ground on a regular basis. And that's really inspiring to see as well. Yeah. It's, it's uh, like the, the end of 2020 or, or, or 
all of 2020 really until recently you know just up until now i would say it's been a real eye opener uh because a lot of the issues that are coming to the forefront that are percolating to the surface um you know as, as a kind of I, i'll say it i'm like a pretty clueless uh politically clueless uh white guy <laughs> you know like <laughs> i mean I'm, i have like you know my ideas about you know, being a Democrat and living in a, in a you know, a de- Democrat, democratically, um, you know, run country with a constitution and all this sort of stuff. But a lot of these, these things that we're dealing with, I, I'm surprised in the 21st century are still fucking issues, man, you know, and it's really disappointing. Um, and, and I guess like one of the takeaways that I have from last, the last 12 months or so, 16 months is just that, you, you can't really pretend things are okay in this country. Otherwise, you know, you're just going to get lulled into sleep and then the other is going to take over and take everything away from you. And you're going to have, you're going to be back living in, in like the, you know, the 1800s, you know, it's going to be like, right. you know, and that, that's really, I guess, um, created a lot of issues for me personally within, uh, you know, with, within my family, you know, number one. And, uh, it's just like a, a, an awakening, I guess, for me, because uh, I have never really been very political. But uh, but now just being aware, I guess, is, is more of, of what uh, is the takeaway from all this stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that's good. I, I think it's good that people have their eyes opened. And like you're saying, I mean, you know, we could see it go back so quickly. And then there are other people like you know, people that are oppressed, you know, to whatever extent, like black people or women or whatever, that are still living with the, the remnants of, of that, you know, of the late 1800s, you know, and, and things like that, that like, you can't, you know, you can't just push your way out of poverty. And that's like the American idea that everybody can do that. And like, if, if you start it, if one person starts at zero and the other person starts at negative 50, yeah. You know, they don't they don't have the same way to get to 10. And yeah, you know, and the other thing is is like you're saying about being a democrat like those kind of things I think that's uh another sea change we need because we're we've gone back to and and I I'm feeling more at ease in the last few months, but like we've just gone back to the status quo. We've gone back to the exact same shit of like these old fucking white capitalist middle of the road dudes. I mean that like we, it lulls us into submission because we're like, ah, but it's just not that constant chaos. But sometimes, sometimes I like the, the devil you can see more than the devil you can't. Right. Like it's like, in some ways it's, it's like, I'd rather be everybody, everybody be active and aware and angry than how they are sometimes during your Clintons or your Bidens or whatever, where it's like, Oh, everything's cool. But like, it's still not fucking cool. And it's not changing for black and brown people. And it, you know, and, and there's still mass detention and mass incarceration and things like that. And so I, you know, that, that's one of the things with America is that like, we're this, I've been thinking a lot about like Democrats. I'm like, Democrats should be our enemy, but Republicans are so 
so insane that like they, you know, the Democrats have to be our, our friends. Like we should be looking at the policies. I mean, to me as a, as like a person who is, is, you know, conceptually like progressive, like this, we should see the, the very centrist policies of like Democrats as being ridiculous. And we should be fighting against those for, for something that's way more progressive, but there's still that insane conservative mindset. So like that shit is just mind blowing to me, but I don't know. I've been watching a lot of like documentaries on cults lately, Oh yeah, and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's funny cause you just see how insane this shit seems, but you're like, when, when the baseline in this country is that everybody believes in old time religion and everybody believes in, you know, every kid is taught to believe in Santa Claus growing up, like, and everybody believes in Jesus. Like, why wouldn't you, you're taught that Jesus will come back. So you're looking for it. You know, it's, it's like, why wouldn't heaven's gate is no more ridiculous than the Mormons, which is no more ridiculous than Scientology and Christianity and all that shit. So all those kind of things. I just think we're like um, the, maybe the world, but certainly America is built on this weird fucking fantasy. You know, it's, it's crazy. Well, man. yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, there's, I mean, now we're, you know, we're delving into, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the, the fact that this is probably some kind of Masonic, uh, you know, experiment that happened. Like, you know, when, when our forefathers fled Europe to come here, you know, and, and, uh, you know, whatever kind of like arcane ideologies this company, you know, this country was, was, you know, based on around that time. I mean, a lot of that stuff I feel like is, is embedded like in, in the, in America, you know, and, right. You know, and, and more so that like the last, I, I have the feeling that this whole thing is a fucking work, man. Like, you know, I, I lay awake at night sometimes and I think about like, you know, okay, we got these figureheads that are like presidents, you know, and then behind the scenes, is another group of people who are like, all right, we're going to give you this guy for four years. As long as we get this other guy for eight years, and then you can go back to having this other, your guy for four years. And then there's like some other agenda that's going on, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, I think that those, that, I mean, I think it's, it's, it is very clear, but I think it's like less for me personally, my opinion is that it's less like, um, I don't know what, like, yeah, less, less like a a specific group of people and more just like the concept of capitalism and that, that like, there isn't a conspiracy. It is a, a way of life. It is a concept of living that we are actively a part of and it, and it's capitalism and it's, it's not, it's not just, and I'm not like an absolute anti-capitalist. I'm, but like it's capitalism run amok. Right. You know, so it's just who, who, donates the most money and who gets the most tax benefits and who gets this and who gets that and who gets control of Taiwan and who gets control of this. And, and like that kind of shit is like, yeah, we're just flipping the same coin back and forth, you know? And I don't know, you know I mean? I'm obviously, I think Biden is a way better person than, than Trump, but like, you know, we're still like, we're still tossing the beanbag back and forth between yeah. like the same type of people, you know? And I don't know. And I also like, this isn't even maybe something I should bring up, but like, personally, I'm like extremely anti-gun. And, and that's another thing that I feel like is it's intrinsic in America. I'm not denying that it's part of America and it's part of our rights and it's part of what the country is based on. 
So to like, sometimes I feel like arguing it is as pointless as arguing about the existence of the country. But like, I see that as part of the problem too, where like everybody's armed and the police are armed and everybody's afraid. Everybody has a gun. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, that, that kind of shit is just mind blowing to me how that's just like an ever never ending, like circle of, you know, maybe if like, I don't know, you know, it's just, it's just fucking crazy. We're just in a world where like somebody can walk into a movie theater and shoot me, you know, or any show or whatever. And it's like happens over and over again and nothing uh, occurs and nothing changes. And that's, that's crazy to me too. And I don't know, I haven't really thought about this either, but like the fact that like the George Floyd trial is a death that doesn't involve a gun is also interesting that how high profile it is and like how this guy's actually cops actually being put on trial, but it's not a, a firearm related thing, which is interesting to me. And like, like, I I don't know. I, I wonder if there's some kind of concept there where like, that's, that like skirts that, that issue too, you know, I don't know. You know, I never thought of that actually. And, uh, that's a, that's a really interesting point, but that's something I never considered. Yeah. I mean, it's like the, the, the Dante Wright shooting that just happened. It's like, you know, we're like this cop says she thought she had a taser and everyone's like, what the fuck? You know, we all know, you know, a, a child would know the difference between a taser and a gun, but like, why is the gun right there? Why is the gun on one side and the taser on the other side? Like, why can't the gun be in the trunk, you know? And, and I understand that like the cops think that it's because they think everybody's armed and they think in particular, every black man is armed and, and that's what they're taught to believe. And and that kind of shit, I'm just like, where do we break that cycle? You know? Um, I, I don't know that that's like, and that's one thing where I have to understand that like gun violence really, really, really freaks me out because it affects directly things that I do, like go to movies and go to events and stuff like that. And so when that shit happens is when I want to escape America, most of all. <laughs> and I have to realize that like for people who are oppressed and poor and minorities, like they're living with that, that type of feeling I have like every fucking day. Right. So that's. I don't know. That, that's wild. And that's privilege too, for me is I'm like, Oh man, somebody was, you know, some fucking dude annihilated a Las Vegas event with a machine gun. You know, I want to move away, you know, like, <laughs> and it's like, there are people that are like living under some extent of that type of f- violence or, or, or fear, like all the fucking time. And most of the time I can turn it off. Yeah, they don't have the option of just moving either, you know. You're just right. kind of stuck in your neighborhood and that's it, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's weird, man. It's like it's and I'm not like super conspiratorial, but it's it's interesting to think how how easy this all how how smoothly the world goes along, particularly the states, considering how fucked up it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like how how like you can just go to Qdoba and get a burrito and come home and you can do all these things. I mean, even through the pandemic, it's like, I see people that really fucking hated mask mandates and shutdowns. And I just think like, God damn, you still had it pretty good. You know, like the, the water was still running. The power was still on. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, it's just crazy how well this, this 
thing runs and that enables the the atrocities that occur to to keep happening and to be pushed way down because the daily mechanisms work pretty well yeah that's the thing man it's um there was that big panic in the beginning that uh you know the the you know the toilet paper uh you know right. uh, shortage and everything uh that you know things were you know we were gonna have to like defend ourselves and stock up on food and all this stuff and that never really manifested you know what i mean right like any any kind of shortage was a perceived shortage be just because suddenly everyone bought everything and they didn't have time to restock the shelves really you know what right I mean? yeah you know, but other than that, yeah, the power was on. Everyone had Netflix. Everyone had their Wi-Fi. You know, their secure logins for their work and all that. And yeah. uh, you know, most people weren't really affected, except for the ones who people had a job where they actually had to show up. Like if you were a uh, a sanitation worker or something like that, you know, or you, you had to be out in public, you know, and right, you didn't you didn't have the the option of staying home or working from home, you know. Yeah, and. and- you know, and certainly tons of people were affected. I mean, I know obviously both of us know so many people like just within our own infrastructure of music, like, you know, my brother's a screen printer and mainly screen prints for bands. And then that's just like stops, oh, yeah. like, like, just like snap your fingers. It's gone. It's like fucking, you know, the Avengers It's like Thanos, you know, it's like, yeah. like that whole world uh, that's set up for that, you know, booking agents and music venues and everything. And that's just, that's fucking crazy. So shit definitely went down and shit was horrible. And obviously millions of people died, but it's still interesting that like how still interesting, how well most of society has trucked onward despite this, which, which is kind of, kind of reassuring, but then there's shit like that winter storm in Texas where like, you know, they lose power for like three or four days or a week. And like, it's just total fucking insanity. People dying and freezing to death. And it, it's a, it's a fragile system. It's very, very wild. A couple of episodes ago, I had uh, CC from uh, Zucchini Kill on. And um, okay. uh, do you know that place in Austin? I've seen you posting about it, but that's all I know about it. Yeah, it's a um, great, uh, you know, vegan bakery, coffee shop nice. place. Uh, you know, they cater, they they do mail order, that kind of stuff. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she's a Texas native and um, had to deal with that whole thing. And we did, you know, half an episode talking about the failure of the uh, the state, basically. You know, so that's uh, that's definitely something I'm, I, I got a, a pretty big, big education about that, that failure, yeah. you know. I'll have to check that out. I mean, that's, yeah. And it, it was wild. Like a few days after all that kind of settled down, like I heard an interview on NPR with, I don't know, like the head of one of the Texas utility companies. And, and that I had no concept at the time until then that they had like, they had to make the decision to shut the power down, which is like also just, you know, like just wild, like, like, you know, like you can't withstand a fucking snowstorm and you have to, consciously decide to shut the power grid down is, is like unreal. I always wonder that too, man. Like, I, you know, everybody sees, you know, Obama as like this cool dad, you know, cool buddy. And like, there's that Obama, uh, Bruce Springsteen podcast now and shit like that. And I, and I just think, you know, if I met this dude, I would love to ask him point blank. How do you feel about authorizing the murder of, yeah, 
hundreds or thousands of people. Like, how do you fucking sleep at night? Like, that's just fucking mind blowing to me. Like, I, I don't know that like these guys are just like dudes in, in, you know, in, in gap jeans, like on TV, just being pals. And I'm like, you have to, you know, you authorize extra, extra judicial, jud, I can't even say the word, but you know, outside of, uh, you know, killings outside of the law and, and, and bombings. And like, I just can't even fucking imagine that, man. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the funny thing is after the, the shit storm of having Donald Trump in president for the last four years and just the, the, you know, the three ring circus aspect of that, that it's almost like no one remembers all of the negative stuff that happened between, you know, the debt with the democratic party. And I mean, hell, we haven't had, a Republican even win a, uh, a a popular vote since like 2004 or something like right. that. You know what I right. mean? But everyone's just, well, oh yeah, you know, Joe Biden, he's going to save everything. Or oh, Obama, that was a real president, you know? I mean, yeah, the guy didn't insult people and you weren't, uh, you know, afraid for uh, these like fringe right-wing enablement that went on during Trump's, Trump's watch. But you know, you can't you can't just like um, revise the past to fit your narrative. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. I mean, we we saw that in recent years where people saw George W. Bush as like this <laughs> kindly old granddad. You know, and it's just like, what the fuck are you thinking? And that's that's selective memory. But uh, you know, uh, it's interesting, man. Yeah, and like, I I think we were all dying to get back to that like what's the word, like functional statesman, you know, functional diplomat type of, of life. But like, you gotta, you gotta still see that for what it is and see how fucked up that is. And yeah, I don't know, man, it, it, but, but I do feel, and I almost feel guilty for it. I do feel so much calmer since Biden was inaugurated because there's not that particular kind of constant chaos in the news and in you know, and people just seem to have, in some regard, mellowed out, and it just kind of has mellowed out my my brain activity on a daily basis, which is helpful. Yeah, you know, but what what's scarier though is um, I, I almost feel like I felt back in the late '80s with like Nazi skinheads around, uh, except that they're not at shows; they're actually out in public with people. Right. You know what I mean? It's like that's that's the real scary part about Donald Trump is that all these like crackpot right wing fringe militia types are are somehow empowered right now. And, yeah. Uh, and they're you know, it's it's almost mainstream to have these extremist views. Right. Absolutely. And that's that's terrifying to me, you know, in, in the 21st century that that is what we're dealing with in this country. You know, yeah, it, it's insane, man. It, I see a lot of that, like in, in media, like in, um, I don't know, like, like I've seen a lot more like Nazis and stuff in like, uh, pop culture as the villains again lately. And, yeah. you know, like that show, the boys, you know, they, they, they brought that character in like that. And it's interesting because I think people like me and you, we, we came up with seeing these raw cult movies, like romper stomper or like uh I'm, I'm spacing on the uh the one with tim roth where uh where he's a, a skinhead oh, football football hooligan 
Yeah, yeah it's like that 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 trilogy. Um, yeah. Scum is one of the other ones, but um, oh, Made in Britain is what it's called. But yeah, we grew up with all that shit, and we kind of like loved those movies because they were so raw and crazy. But we we saw the you know obviously we saw those people as the villains, and we didn't identify with it. But after a certain extent, I start a certain time, I start to think like you know, fucking Nazis are watching American history X and, and love it, you know, yeah, like, absolutely. And, and, and sometimes I feel like the more they're there, even as a cartoon character, it just, it, it, it makes it a little bit more accepted, you know, a little bit less threatening. And, and I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't accept that, <laughs> you know, like I, 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 and I don't know, I feel like more of a responsibility to draw a line in the sand more often. Um, because I think a lot of times we, we do become complacent because we know where we stand. And, and like these days, like if a new band approaches shirt killer or something, I, I like scroll through their Instagram and I'm like, well, if there's nothing anti-racist on here maybe they're racist i don't fucking know oh, wow, yeah. you, you know like shit like that so you know and i had a um their little experience of like on the second time european tour where i made this shirt that was like uh an art deco eagle uh it was actually from like a a post office like an old u.s post office but it was like you know a very like you know, it, it had a little bit of a Third Reich look. It was like a very angular, you know, eagle drawing. It said photo crime. And um, I think the it was like a line from a song. It said global evacuation route. And, you know, my idea was that it looked kind of like those old 80s boy shirts, which is boy was a London brand that very much directly used nazi imagery but was not a nazi thing and but also this concept of like it coming from the post office imagery and like this idea of escaping america and shit like that but anyway this dude that that i kind of loosely knew came up to me and was like i want to know about this shirt like is this white power imagery like this isn't fucking cool there's you know this is not acceptable like we don't deal with this and it was a little bit of like a I don't know. It was odd because I just felt like take two seconds and look at who I am before you try to call me out. But at the same time, I was like, you know, every person that comes to a photo crime show doesn't know every fucking thing about me. They don't know that I'm an active anti-racist and, and, and an activist to some extent and that I raise funds for anti-racist organizations and I make anti-racist shirts. And then I, you know, and, and they don't know everything about me. They just come to the show and they see the shirts and they see the band and not that I have to like say that I'm anti-fascist on every fucking shirt I make, but like uh, it did remind me that like these things are important and that it, when you chip away at it and every statement you make it, I think it helps to tear that shit down because that's kind of where we, that's maybe early for me, like that's where I grew up and, and, and understood that stuff through punk and hardcore. Like it, it, it taught me that shit and like, if all the bands kind of hadn't been chipping away at that, I might not have caught that, <laughs> you know, like there are plenty of racist yeah. black flag fans or whoever, you know, and like, and, and that's to me, that's like, ant, like antithetical, like those things don't work together. But, but for a lot of people it does, you know, because 
I don't, you know, I don't know. So it kind of taught me a lesson, I guess, that like I need to, to be clear in where I stand on things, especially in these days. Was that, was that in Germany by any chance? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah I mean, that, they're like, that's, that's, I mean, you know, that's where, that's the epicenter of European fascism. Exactly. So yeah, there you go. But I mean, I, I, the Germans, in my opinion, because uh, they hosted the Third Reich, <laughs> like, right. they kind of get a pass for being uh, sensitive on all those things, you know, yeah. regar regardless. Um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, they're real touchy about that stuff for sure. And for uh, sure, man. You know, and I remember playing a show in Berlin and they were like, if they were, if people had like, uh, like Burzum patches or something like that, they wouldn't let them into the show at, uh, Cassiopeia, that, that oh, yeah. spot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's interesting. It's like, I, you know, I like, you know, that dude Burzum is, is who he is, right? He's clear about his beliefs and they're fucked up. And like, but I also find it interesting that like, we all come from a culture of punk where, you know, Sid Vicious wore a swastika t-shirt and Joy Division is named after a Nazi thing. And like, yeah. there's so much of that shit. And like, it's like, I happened to look at, a. I don't really know much about old Boston hardcore. Um, but I was looking at like, uh, the last rights seven inch, yeah. you know, and like, and I, there's that one song that dinosaur junior covers that I really like. And then I don't care for the rest of their songs, but I happened to notice while looking at discogs that like, one version of one of the records had all this, this Hitler shit on it and not, I think it, it was just like, you know, I think at that point it was just pushing buttons, but it's interesting, you know, like there's so much of that history in punk that is used for shock value, but the ultimate politics are good, you know, but it's interesting and we're to live in a different time, you know, it's like, it, it's just, so it's not acceptable now. Yeah, that's the thing about just just media in general, like art in general is is um, you know even sitcoms. Like for example, if you watch like an old sitcom from the eighties, like there's a lot of stuff that they say in there that that would be like totally unacceptable these days. But oh, for sure. But you can't like you know cancel David Schwimmer like in in twenty <laughs> right, right you know twenty twenty one for for saying something like mildly sexist back in like whatever whenever Friends was on you know what I mean for sure yeah I mean you know there are things like like uh, for me personally like bitch is a word that I don't say or you know like in the context of like a woman or anything like that like it, it's just you know like it's just not something I say and I've been watching this horrible uh, sometimes I watch like terrible sitcoms to like you know calm my brain at night and um there's like one I've been watching that's recent you know the last decade and the guys on it it's a, a show created by women and, and starring women but the guys on it call each other bitches and call the women bitches and it's very interesting to me and, I, and every time I, I see it it like it like you know makes my skin crawl a little bit and I know that that wouldn't happen right now but it's really interesting. These things change fast. I mean, t tomorrow I'm renting a, some of the movie theaters here are doing like rentals. Like you can rent the whole theater for cheap. Oh yeah. Yep. yep and, heard of um, that. I've done like a couple where they were just showing other movies, but the smaller theater here, I just found out you can bring your own movie. Oh wow. So tom tomorrow I've rented the theater and I'm going to show street trash. Nice. Uh, some friends. And I invited one friend who's kind of young and, and, and I thought, shit he and his girlfriend like 
there's probably some really fucked up stuff in street trash that like, you know, they might just be mortified by. And I, you know, I just, that's not, that to me is like, just doesn't register because that's like a classic movie, but you're like, well, obviously this is like, you know, I mean, just starting, like it's horrible toward the homeless, but I'm like, I can't even imagine how much fucked up shit in there. You know, there's like obviously tossing of severed penises and whatever oh, yeah, else, definitely. but like, yeah. you know, there's all that stuff. And like, I, you know, I think, I think to a certain level, like certain types of art are fair game and, and you know, but yeah, it's interesting, man. And there are fine lines and I think it's up to us, like, as artists and, and, and to people who care and are politicized to make those decisions, you know, like, like who you're going to support and what works under the context of art and, and things like that. Yeah. I have a slightly different opinion about a lot of that stuff because I mean, I, I think that once um, people start regulating like what, what's acceptable and what's not, you get into a different type of fascism, you know, it's like, to me, it smells like book burning and stuff like that when suddenly you can't have access to certain things because there's a, you know, a, some standard being enforced. And, you know, back, you know, in the 80s or whatever, you know, when I was a kid, like I grew up in the suburbs, man. I didn't, I didn't, there, I grew up in a very middle of the road, you know, like upper middle class, you know, middle class background. I wasn't exposed to anything. You know, I, it was just regular shit in life. Yeah. And then, you know, I started going into New York City and it was like the extremities of life were, were presented to me. And also in, in reality, like the realism of going into, mm -hmm. into a place like that. But then also like art-wise, like creatively with music and literature and having access to certain things that were forbidden and definitely not... Um, you know, accepted by society at that time, you know, and that I think being, be, having, being, being able to look at the extremes gives you a, a full understanding, I think, of what's actually possible in the world, good or bad. And I think that having like a large bandwidth of experiences, you know, some of it could be repugnant, but that's up to you to decide really, you know, and, and I think that I mean, if you're going to, like we were talking earlier about the use of like fascist imagery in like early, early 80s hardcore, you know, and, and yes, definitely some, I mean, that was Nazi skins were a thing in the 80s, you know, and, and uh, if you're, if you have that proclivity, you know, if you're, if you're a maniac in that way, you're going to, you're going to find that regardless if, if like the last rights record has, has, um, you know, some sort of symbolism you know, that is uh, associated with fascism or racist ideologies. But so that you have that presentation of that imagery and that idea in, in kind of a neutral setting, I guess. And one guy can, can interpret that as, okay, I'm going to become like a white power skinhead. And the other guy can take that information and go in a different direction with it, you know, and that's, but, but, both of those people are going to find they're going to they're going to seek the le that level regardless of, of I think of of what of whether or not they bought that one particular record or went to that particular show or saw this like book or whatever you know because I just think that all that stuff is out there anyway in in the real world. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's two points there. I think one is like intent 
what is your intent? And I think that shocking, taboo, horrible imagery. I mean, obviously you and I, like that's one of the things we've bonded on over the years is like fucked up movies and stuff like that. And, and, you know, I have looked my whole life for the next fucked up movie and they're, they're, they're mostly horrible things, but it's, what is the intent, right? Is it, is the intent just to shock or is it to, to, to express an idea? I mean, obviously like something very, you know, obvious, like Sallow is like horrific and would be banned and was banned, but the point was anti-fascist, but like yeah. somebody could see it and think like, wow, I love, I love seeing this <laughs> dominance of women and I love seeing people eat shit. And, but like the intent is there. And, and then the other thing is like, you know, as someone who does not believe in any way, shape or form of like destiny or any, like any, um, you know, anything being set in stone, I think that stuff is important because I, you know, just from experience, like I was saying, like my, I cannot even imagine what my perception of life and reality and art and politics and ethics would be without punk and hardcore. Like, there's a very, very high chance I would be a Trump person because I grew sure. up in a small town in Kentucky and it was that stuff. And I saw the the shock and I saw all of it and like, and, but I also was exposed to the idea of, you know, anti-misogyny and anti-racism and, and veganism and all these things that like have become like absolute tenants of my life. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, I think you can shock without being racist, right? Like where I think you could, you can create art that even, you know, that is, that is pushes the absolute boundaries of taste and, and, and hate and all those kind of things and still have the intent be good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's interesting, man. Like I, I, I don't necessarily think that like somebody who, became a Nazi skinhead was going to do that regardless. And if they stumbled upon, I don't know what, you know, it's like, like my perception of like, of Manson, like I know, you know, you and I have, we've watched Manson documentaries together and sure. And, and, and I know you've like covered his songs and things like that. And I, I find him very interesting as a pop culture character and as a, as a, you know, what he represents in American culture and, and the sixties and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, of course, as I have gone on, I'm like, Oh, his ideas are repugnant, right? He is like, well, yeah, definitely. You know, he is the worst. And it, and it comes to that point where I'm like, well, you know, do I want to wear a Manson shirt? What does that mean? What does that represent? And do I want to, would I want to buy a newly released single of his music? Like, I don't know, you know, um, those kind of things are interesting and and I'm not saying I have the answer, you know, but, um, uh, I think it's, I think it's worth being cognizant of, you know, like I saw you did, uh, an episode or, or, or discuss Gigi Allen. Sure. Um, Yes. You know, and like, think about him. Like I do love like, uh, that first LP. I mean, I, I think that fucking record is awesome, but I also know the dude has like, racist racist songs and like i've always found him interesting as like a cartoon character like, like literally in reckless records there's like a gg allen coloring book you know and and i'm like wow that's interesting this dude like 
pushed the limits, but also was he actually a racist and misogynist? I mean, he has songs with like the hard N word in them. Oh yeah, know? totally. I mean, there's, there's like brutal, there's brutality and depravity and all that stuff in there. And, right. But the thing is, is I think that one of the things you got to be aware of too, is like, you know, being extreme, you know, like the, the way everyone wants to be extreme in some way. Now that, you know, I feel like without a guy like Gigi Allen, there would be no, like Marilyn Manson or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like all right, we're going to be extreme. We're going to be into like this outsider thing, you know, but like be aware of what that really is, you know? And I think that's my fascination with Gigi Allen is like, that guy really did have deep emotional problems, you know I mean? Mm -hmm. Like horrible family life, abuse, sexual abuse. And that's what it means to be an outsider is to have, right. that's what you're, you're, you're romanticizing by being into extremity or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're romanticizing abuse and, and all these, these other things that are associated with that and all of the, the resultant things that come from that. And, um, I just think in general and like modern in our modern culture, maybe since the nineties, uh, it's been kind of like dismissed and, you know, okay, well, you know, we're, we're extreme. We're into all this far out stuff, you know, we're into body modifications and all, you know, mm -hmm. but you have to understand what that actually means. You know what I mean? What you're actually, what, what that is the earmark of is like right. a lot of times it's abuse, you know, and, and a lot of people I know that are into like all sorts of extremity, you know, have, they got, they got similar stories, you know, and yeah. You know, and like everyone's got a lip ring and, you know, all these things these days, but it's like you have to be aware of where a lot of that comes from, you know, in some ways. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I've, you know, I go in like, I've gone on a few like GG wormholes in my life where I like read all about him and, and, and he is certainly a person. I mean, his story is very similar to Manson's, you know. Exactly. And, yeah. It's, you know. And, and, he is a person who 100% could have been a serial killer, you know, but instead he was a musician. He was an artist to, to, to his, you know, in his way. And like, that is interesting. That's highly interesting, you know, and the, the cult around him and, and what he could have become, he could have become a, a Manson, you know, leader of people and, and whatever, or, or a, total loner serial killer and instead he became like a shit eating punk you know like or punk singer or on the other end he could have been a pop star too man it's like if you right. listen to those the jabbers record for example you know that's like some ramones stooges style uh catchy like punk rock music yeah absolutely you know? and and like Without a doubt, the guy's got it, has an incredible work ethic too for a dude oh, who probably sure. lives on the streets, you know, but like, yeah, look at all the records he put out, you know, and if that energy had gone into being, you know, focusing on making music or, you know, dealing with his issues or whatever, if he broke off a little piece of that energy into dealing with some of these issues, he might have, you know, been like a successful, uh, you know, pop singer, who knows, you know, right. For sure. I mean, and, and I, of course, I'm not saying like, you know, you know, I think his, his music is whatever and it's there and, and I enjoy 
some of it and you know i've watched hated numerous times in my life and um you know i don't think those anything should be wiped off well i don't know i can't say that but i, I guess i'm you know I, I don't know about censorship and like as it relates to like i don't know if like cancel culture is fascism because fascism is you know fascism is dictated by a small group of people in a government setting and you know where a an overall decision to for you know cancel culture at its worst is is closer to like tarring and feathering you know and, and um yeah which is and, which is lethal actually right which is terrible somebody yeah right. it's a horrible which thing is, to do which is terrible but i also think that there is a certain point where like you know, I think there are, 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 are elements of gray with all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I think, especially for, like, older white dudes to, to deride cancel culture. Like, when I hear Nick Cave talking shit about it, I'm like, just shut the fuck up, Well, dude. yeah. Like, that, I mean, know, like, with, like with... I'm sorry, go ahead. I mean, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I mean, the way it's being uh, used with, like, the grand old party, you know, Mm-hmm. They they're using it as they're playing culture wars with that term, right? You know, it's not like they don't really mean any of that shit. Like they that they don't mean that they that you should go out and buy Gigi Allen records, right? They mean that their guy who's like spewing the most reprehensible hate speech should have a right to say what he says, exactly. without without being like called out. That's what they're saying, right? You know, they're they're not championing, uh, you know, they're not champions of like anti scene or like the mentors or something like that, you know? <laughs> right? You know, they're, they're, they just want their guy to be able to say what he's going to say, you know? Yeah, and that's, exactly. It's just culture wars, you know? They did that right. during the Obama administration, too, you know? It was just, you know, that, that's, they're just playing the old games. And those are people that, that are proponents of censorship and, are, and do want to silence art and ban art. You know, those are the people that, that would sue and ban Robert Maplethorpe or whoever the fuck else. And... So, you know, they are not proponents of, of open media and open communication by any means. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, like a lot of things, things become like overarching terms. And I think, I think for people to get called out on their shit when they're predators or they're, you know, racists or whatever, like, you know, I don't think that's like cancel culture. I think that's like, you know, that's getting busted for being a fuck for being a monster sure. like yeah you know and, and like if some person made an old joke that was off color and somebody finds it and shits on them like maybe they that 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 should create dialogue that shouldn't create wiping of somebody off of 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 the you know that should create growth versus like someone who's a serial predator or serial racist or whatever like those people need to get shut down and, and their power needs to be taken away from them. You know, I, I don't know, maybe, and I'm always curious, like a lot of the people that get wiped away, I just wonder how they live and what their life is like. I, I, I find that very interesting. And I understand that like news outlets don't want to give voice to, I don't know, like Louis CK might be a perfect example. Like dude seems sketchy. You know, I don't, I'm not like a huge fan of his in any way, but I'm curious, like sometimes I'm like, how, how does that dude live? Like, what's his life? Like, are these people, do these people ever get jobs again? Like, do they, you know, like, 
if you fuck up, you know, if, if we're, if we're wiping someone off the face of the earth entirely, it's no different than mass incarceration. Yeah. I mean, with the, in the case of Louis CK, it's uh, cause I, I've had endless discussions about this with a lot of people and, and it's like, yeah, it's definitely a weird quirk that he has like, uh, you know, very, very bizarre sexual proclivity, proclivity in my, my opinion. Uh, you know, can't really relate to that. However, I don't think the guy should be like, you know, I don't think his livelihood should be taken away from him. I think he should, you know, you, you discussion like dialogue is like, that's the only thing I find that's not being extended to people. I mean, unless you're like a, a straight up guilty party, like Harvey Weinstein or something like that, where you're, you know, this long rap sheet of rapes and victimizations, like you're, you've stepped outside the letter of the law and you get, you get put in jail. You know, yeah. I think that that's, that's a clear cut example of, you know, the, the, the consequence to his actions, you know, but it's like, you know, if you're into like some weird sexual stuff, you know, it makes people uncomfortable. Um, you know, you say some off color things that you should have the opportunity to discuss what your intent was, you know, or apologize, or maybe you did say, did do something fucked up. It's like, I've done, I've, hey, I've wronged people in the past, you know, I've done things that, that were not, uh, you know, I've, I've hurt people and, you know, but there are things I'm sorry for. Does that mean that I have to pay that price for the rest of my life? You know, I mean, there should be a consequence, but there should well, also be forgiveness too, you know? I think that the, there are a couple of things in that, like in a situation like that, in situations of, of racism or misogyny or sexual assault, these are people that don't have, in most cases, don't have the law on their side or and traditionally haven't had society on their side. Like, you know, rapes aren't normally prosecuted and sexual assault like that, like a guy... You know, I mean, as I understand it, and I, once again, I don't want to get on a Louis C.K. thing because I don't really give a fuck about him personally. But like, yeah. the you know, as I understand it, he blocked the door for two young women comedians and forced them to jerk. He forced them to watch him jerk off while they couldn't leave the room. That's fucked up. That's oh well, yeah, that assault. that to me, I did, that I, you know, that to me, that's an assault. You know, what I mean? yeah, I mean, that's an assault, and that's one of the main things that I first heard, and. Then other people like Sarah Silverman were like, yeah, we'd be on a cross country trip and he'd just jerk, whip his dick out and jerk off. And I was like, gross, but I didn't stop him. Well, that's, that's still assault. But like, you know, so what do you do as a woman? Like you can't, you can't, there's a power struggle. There's a power, you know, that, that's power. Like that's, that's a, a, that shows me that that dude, if he had even more power, would be doing more fucked up things. He'd be like the cops in Louisville who took these kids that were part of a community organization and like started turning these kids into like sex ring slaves in Louisville. And nothing ever happened from that. A couple guys went to jail, but like they were taking poor kids that were part of like a community outreach thing and basically pimping them out and sharing them amongst each other and fucking them. Oh, and man. that's what like absolute power corrupts absolutely. So you know, these kids or these young comedians that are female, they don't have a recourse. They don't have a, a way. So that's why this is like, that's to me is like 
the very positive of whatever we're going to call cancel culture because it's like it's fucking street justice and and it there's no other justice for it like that's the thing it's like i'm not oppressed like no one ever does that to me if somebody tried to do that to me i'd kick them in the fucking nuts right like you know i'd fight my way out that door but like i've never been in a situation where i was trapped physically by somebody or i was exploited by someone who had more power than me um you know like in a direct way obviously we're all exploited by people that have more power than us on a daily basis but so those are the kind of things where i think like there is no other recourse so that person gets shut the fuck down because you can't be doing that stuff and it can't be it can't be prosecuted you know um so i don't know i mean and like i'm saying i don't know all that much about him but i am curious still as a human being like where do those people go in life and like how do we help rehabilitate rehabilitate like i don't i don't i don't like the idea of smashing anyone that's not like a a true absolute monster piece of shit off the face of the earth i like the idea of them learning and maybe growing from it you know take their power away but like yeah but that go that is that that is what seems to be missing from this equation though is uh you know what you know after after you smash this person and destroy their life or whatever what, what, you know you just walk away from that's it you know they don't they don't get a chance to do any kind of penance for what they did or or you know regain any any trust with people you know and i'm not right. trying to defend louis ck i'm just saying that in general like like that is something that i i perceive that and i think even you know even if you're an, you go out and you you rob a liquor store or something like that they eventually let you out of jail you know what i mean and you can't right. get a job you can't get a regular job unfortunately but and you probably go back to a life of crime you know which is another fucked up aspect of our society but but you you serve out a sentence and then you're allowed to re, regain you know or try to try to regain your status somewhat in society mm-hmm. you know or join society again but uh you know in the wild west that we live in right now with all this stuff going on you know it's um it's not clear like what what actually you know what 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 the next steps are for some of these people you know right and and i think that there is you know, there's a massive culture shift going on. And I think that some of this is the growing pains of that. Like there are things like, you know, obviously uh, sometimes I think of these and things that are like more high profile that really have no effect on my life. But like, I think about like that guy, James Gunn, who's the director who did like trauma movies and stuff. And then right. did the guardians of the galaxy movies, like some old jokes from his trauma area came era came out and he got fired from the, from the guardians of the galaxy movie well after some time passed that calmed down he got hired back like you know so i think there's i think those shades of gray are come in and maybe things can happen where people do get prosecuted or shut the fuck down or people feel uh, able to to come forward and speak i mean you know it's like like you're mentioning like Gigi allen like being a direct line to marilyn manson well you know, Marilyn Manson was all fun and games and he was just like some fucking dipshit poser who made, you know, music like, and then it comes out that he's a, a, a repeat abuser of women and, and his crew and everybody else. And it's like, well, you know, what's like, 
I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't listen to his music, so I don't appreciate that. I don't listen to like, uh, I don't know. I, maybe I don't listen to a lot of stuff that, that is about like being monstrous in an abstract artistic way and then being shocked when that person is a monster. Well, I guess that that's exactly the point I was trying to make earlier, though, was that Manson, Marilyn Manson is like a, a commercial commodity, a commodity, basically, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, you go to Ozfest or whatever, and there's like all these people. Yay. You know? Right. But what what's being actually displayed there is is some pretty outside. I mean, I'm not, I don't think Marilyn Manson, particularly his music is very challenging to me, but but you know, there's there's the where, where that precedent was set to do things like that is goes all the way back to like being an extreme person. So if you're an extreme person, you're you're an outsider. Like there's a reason why you're an outsider, right? And that the embrace of the embracing of that, um, though it you know if you truly feel that way, you know maybe it's a way to safely exercise some of the things that you're feeling great but there also comes responsibility with that you know if yeah. you're gonna if you're gonna like you know uh cut yourself on stage or whatever like you gotta understand that that is a side effect of something else going on internally yeah. you know and it's not just like oh look how crazy that is you know and i, I think that's you know, like I, I got, we played like festivals. You know, we were, we played a festival with Marilyn Manson, and like you know, the the, the embracing of a, of everyone, the people that in the crowd and everything who are like, that they're kind of part of me is like, you, know, you guys are kind of missing the point, really, of what's being displayed. And I think that that's that's kind of the point I was making about drawing a line between Gigi Allen and someone like Marilyn Manson. You know, it's that it's yeah, it's and even the mainstreaming of punk rock music in general, like, you know go to hot topic it's like everyone's into punk music you know but they don't have the ideologies they don't have any of the the things that are behind it and the same thing with like extremity you know or extreme culture or whatever you want to call it no one really understands why it's extreme they just see this like imagery and it's like this hollow representation of something that they might be feeling for sure and that, and that's a and that's a that's a watering down of anything i mean i think that's true with like horror films or like quote unquote cult films, movies that are manufactured to be cult films right now. It's like, you know, what's, where's the pathos behind this, right? Like yeah. it becomes just genre exercises and exercises and imagery. And like, what's the true, you know, the true like tortured psyche behind it. And it is hard, man. It's like, while you're, while you're talking, people come into my mind of like, like throbbing gristle or the fall or like people that are really push the boundaries, you know, um, but like most of them are assholes, you know, like most of them, if you read biographies, like they're not cool people and they've done fucked up shit to people and maybe they grew or whatever, but like, yeah, I mean, a show is only like an hour or two a night, you know, and, and, your songs are written at one point and then they're done and you have to live the rest of your fucking life, you know? And it is, it is true. Like we want, we, we want the insanity in the art, but then we want the people to just shut down and be normal otherwise. And it's, it's hard to do that. You know, not everybody can do that. I mean, you know, um, 
So I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that there's a the decision to be made with that. Or no, anything. no, it's definitely just, not. Yeah. But I'll, you know, all I can say is that the inner the inner dialogue that I've had with myself over you know forty something years of you know being involved in this type of thing or you know music and culture and all that sort of stuff, I feel like has like that potential, that opportunity for reflection, I think is really important, you know, and I think that being exposed to stuff like that at, you know, a relatively young age and it is what sparked that within me. It wasn't, it wasn't like going to school every day, you know, even though I did do all those things and I got, you know, excellent grades and all that sort of stuff. It, that really wasn't what made me a good person, I think. And well, I mean, it's debatable, I guess, whether I'm a good person, but <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's it, those aren't the things that contributed to being me who I who I am today. You know, it's it's right. the other out, outside stuff that I was safely able to to uh, experience, and I guess that's what some of these people, like you know, like Gigi and like they, even though you're you're can, say you went to the show, right? You're definitely putting yourself at risk, but you're also still at a safe distance from the realities of, of what his life is on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Now, a year later, you think back on that and you have some kind of understanding of a world that you really aren't part of and maybe that enriches your life in a different way. You know, it's not just like, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's and showing up for work every day that, that turn you into like, you know, I'm not saying that you're saying that, but I'm just saying in general, like you kind of have to have like a rear, a really broad swath of experience in life to really have a full emotional development, I think in some ways. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that. And, and I, you know, and, and kind of looping back to some of the stuff we were saying in the beginning, like about the pandemic and, and the perception of things is like, I do think having that, that, um, that like like that look into the the light and the dark and all the different sides it gives you empathy and perspective and it and i think it gives you the opportunity to have a a a, a huge viewpoint and like a, a a very grand acceptance of the world and things like that you know and and it can go either way you know i mean i think overall like overall it, it goes well it's like overall the people that that have partaken in depraved art, whether it's novels or films or music or, or paintings have be, have been good. You know, it's like, look at the, the torture in, in Francis Bacon's work. Every person that has enjoyed that has not become a depraved lunatic, you know, they, <laughs> yeah, they've become true. enriched by it, you know? And, and, uh, so I don't know, but it, you know, I, it's weird, man. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that shit's going away, but I, I I still think we have the choice to to say fuck you and oh, I still yeah. think there are the abilities it's like you know like I like Slayer and I think it sucks that Tom Mariah is like a right-wing Christian Dude, you know man, I'm like I know, man. like fuck you but on the other hand like I don't want him eating flesh either you know like yeah. so it's one of those things like we want them to be what they are but we also don't want them to be you know whatever like so that's that's interesting man it's hard it's like it's um i think there are there is the ability to to be 
and like good is a relative term, but like to not be full of hate for, for humanity in terms of like, like maybe you or I hate humanity, but we don't hate, hate people or races, you know, or whatever. No, definitely not. I mean, you know, you know, yeah, I think, I think the ability to, to do good in that way is there and still be depraved and still have dark, dark leanings and dark concepts and things like that. You know, it's interesting, man. It's, it's an interesting time. And I I think it's, like I'm saying, I think it's, there's a big push and sometimes you just have to like put a fucking barrier up to smash the, the shit in order to like clean it all up. You know, like I'm saying before, like, I think we need to like, we need to like destroy conservative realities in order to like get to progress. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and, you know, it's funny. I, I bring this up a lot too, is remember back in 2012 with the big Mayan, uh, calendar, yeah. you know, everyone, everyone was waiting for, um, you know, the planet, Nibiru to, uh, you know, come into our solar system and all that. But yeah. I actually think that, we did go through some kind of paradigm shift that's only just that's been really in progress for the last like 10 years you know i mean i think that even that the stuff we're talking about right now is a huge paradigm shift like from absolutely like, from like what 10 15 years ago you know was yeah you know that that these types of uh things are going on i think is a positive thing in our culture i mean you know i don't obviously you know i don't want anyone to like call me out for being like whatever a toxic male or something like that, you know, even though I probably do a lot of things that people would consider toxically male. But, um, but I also think that it's good that these conversations are happening as long as I have a opportunity to, uh, answer for myself. You know what I mean? But yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think that paradigm shift is coming for me. I would, I would, I would chalk it up to like a new generation and it gives me hope that like, while there are growing pains and while there are certainly things that people that are 20 years or more younger than me do that sometimes I'm like, I roll my eyes at I'm also like, you know, I did dumbass shit when I was a kid too. And like, I mean, from the way I dressed to the certain things I was into and you know, you go there so that you can grow and become what you grow into. And, and like, I think that, like you're saying that paradigm shift is good and like it has to it just has to be the system has to be shocked sometimes to to make those changes you know and you know and it's funny man i was thinking today like <laughs> at the i went to the gym before i i got on the phone with you and like you know that's something that i i don't wouldn't say str- struggle with but like try to think about a lot is like masculinity because like i have I'm like a masculine person. I'm like just inherently because of my size and right. and who I am, all that. Like I'm very male, very masculine, but like I don't identify with, you know, I don't identify with the trappings of it, but it's like, I think like, you know, how do you lift weights and not be like a toxic bro? How do you, you know, play guitar riffs and not be a fucking meathead you know all those kind of things i i find all that stuff interesting and i think about it a lot like how to how to do those things but not fall into the the trappings of being toxic because i don't you know i don't know every in and out of your your life but like i've 
like you're a male, you're a masculine dude, but like you, I don't have never seen you as being toxic in that way. And I know you were joking, but like, I think that's interesting. And I think that's something that like is worth exploring as men and as society is like, how do we, how do we be who we are, you know, and not just, not just like biologically, but like in general, like we're, you know, I'm born this way and this is how I, I feel comfortable in my body in that regard. And that's, fine. And how do I live as a man and, and, and be masculine because I am and like not turn it into like this fucking bro dude, <laughs> you know, like, like, well, the, yeah. like the worst elements of it. You know? I mean, I, I think I got a pretty good handle on not being a toxic male, but I think that um, I'm, I'm oftentimes misunderstood and uh, because I, I have to step out of my, my own microcosm a lot of times and um you know like a couple of years ago i used to work at this uh witchcraft shop in in uh in new york city and um you know the whole staff was like women and gay men you know and mm-hmm. everyone i work with that's known me for many years so i, I was friends with her the owner i've known her for like 10 years and but the the patrons a lot of times you know would see a guy with tattoos and like you know you know, whatever, the, you know, like the way I look mm-hmm. and automatically would judge me as being somebody that was completely different than who I actually am. Right. You know, and that's like, it was like this very, uh, it, it was a good experience for me. Um, you know, that just my, my appearance was like enough to like make people really uncomfortable there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and that, that's all I, <laughs> that's all I really meant by that. But it's like, yeah, I mean. But, you know, and then, of course, you know, some of the stuff with martial arts and fighting and things like that, like that I, I engage in, too, also paints even more of a picture of, like, me being, like, a knucklehead or something, you know? Well, of course. I mean, and then, like, those, that's, you know, and I think you live your life not as a knucklehead. So Absolutely you not. avoid yeah. that, that trapping, you know? And, and you know, I think that, that the idea that like anybody doesn't make some snap judgment against or, or even against, but just about someone else when they see them, it's just how it is, you know? And it's like how you act on that, that, you know, like that, that is, that is, um, is what matters. Right. And like, sure. But yeah, it's, I mean, I feel the exact same way. It's like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I am in my in my like brain, but like who I am on, on an outward level is not, I mean, it is who I am. It absolutely is who I am. And at the same time, it's not what someone else might think of me. Right. You know, and I, and I've dealt with that a lot. Like for some reason, after I lost a lot of weight, I don't get this as much, but like when I was bigger, I I had a lot of people always like saying like, oh, you kick that person's ass or you tell them what's up. It was weird. Like this kind of, like I'd walk in, I remember walking into like a, a restaurant and like waiting on, ta- like we were waiting for a table and like some other dude waiting for a table is like, you could just throw somebody out of here or something. It was something weird like that. And I, and I would get shit like that a lot where I was just like, I didn't even say a fucking word in here. I didn't make any gestures. Like, you know, there's nothing about me that is violent in any fucking way, shape or form or intentionally intimidating, you know, but that was something I would get all the time and I have to be aware of it, you know, and I'm, I will say that I'm like, 
self-conscious, especially now of like, you know, being like a big guy in black with combat boots on and a shaved head. I'm like, God, I don't want someone to think I'm a fucking skinhead. You know I mean? Luckily, like that's not like your average person doesn't even fucking know what that is. But like, yeah, you know, but that stuff is interesting, man. And, and, I, and I find that interesting. Like one of the reasons we talked about this before, but one of the reasons like with my like exercise life that I never got into like any martial arts is I was just like very adamant for myself about like not I mean part partially because I don't I don't want to get hit but like I didn't want to like strike anybody or have that be like any kind of like physical contact be part of it um and I because I know people on both both ways I know people like you and a guy that I trained with in terms of just like circuit training who does a lot of jujitsu and boxing and and is absolutely an artistic sweet person and not like violent you know so i understand it but i also see the other side of like i've had people tell me like oh you know it's nice to walk down the street and know you could take somebody down or, or and i'm just like that's the that's that's the problem you know i feel like everybody's walking around thinking like who can i take down with a with my gun or my knife or my arms and like that's i feel like we need to get away from that like we need to get everybody to a point where everybody feel safe around each other and we aren't looking for exits and looking for, you know, techniques of how to, to subdue somebody. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's definitely yeah. a melting pot of people that train like martial arts and stuff. I mean, there's like, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've been doing it for a really long time and like, I, yeah, uh, different all dating all the way back to being a kid, you know? And like, yeah, there's definitely a bandwidth of people that are involved in that. And some, you know, some some people are are that kind of bro mentality, but I would say that they're kind of more in the minority, really. And mm -hmm. a lot of times they get weeded out because of the ego aspects of of things. You know, it's like uh, like I imagine people like outside on the street, what they talk, the ones who have like the most talk about that are the ones inside on the mats who probably are getting owned every day by people and end up they can't their ego can't take that and they just end up not showing up after a while right you know they there's, there's a way of getting weeded out not not like physically weeded out but you know you destroy your ego and you reassemble it in a certain way so that you can allow yourself to be defeated and stuff and grow that way and then people who can't make that jump usually don't stick around very long right you know and that's an important aspect of being humble you know is just knowing that my idea of who I am is totally different than the reality of who I am. You know what I mean? And right. it's like, it's like a great, I think it's a really good thing to go through. And I, ever since I was like a young kid wrestling and doing, you know, like Taekwondo and all this stuff, I like learned that. And I think that's probably why I'm not like a bully or an asshole or, you know, one of those people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think getting to that point where you don't have anything to prove. I mean, I think that's something that like, I hear from folks in that, that world. And, and, and it's something that like, I have to work with myself to, to remember, like, I mean, shit, you know, with music and art, like I do this for myself, like in any time, the times that I fucking hate music and art is when I'm looking for the reaction when I, you know I mean, and, and sometimes you just have to do it as a musician where you're like, okay, cool. I'm, you know, I'm putting this song out into the world and then I'm like, oh, 
it didn't get the reaction I hoped. And then I'm like, wait, who the fuck did I do this for? No, yeah. Just no, me. Totally, man. You know? Yeah. And that's how I feel about like exercising. And that's like, you know, what I love about like, I do a lot of like solitary things like riding my bike and things yeah. like that, that are just like, you know, like I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to like, I don't want to do a team sport. Like, you know, I mean, I love the camaraderie of touring and things like that, but like, I, I you know, I'm like, I, this isn't about proving anything to anybody. Like if there's a small goal, it's for me. And that goal is generally like about growth. Like it's not about like, you know, like me looking for like a Spotify number is as pointless to me as me looking for like a, a number of a weight I'm trying to pick up because you know, those things for me, just like, I don't, I try not to like quantify my life. It'd be like looking for the amount of money I'm trying to reach in the bank, you know? And that would just be like, I'd just be bummed out all the time. If those were the things I was looking for, it's like, yeah. I'm looking for them in terms of like, how does it make me feel? And how does my, how does it settle my brain? And where's my like consciousness at? And how does it, how does it make me happy? You know, like, like those kind of things. And that, that's kind of like the struggle. Well, speaking of which, we should talk about the record now too, because okay. <laughs> that's like I definitely like wanted to, definitely what I was really interested in too is uh, is the new the new photo crime record. Man, I see you guys, you know, uh, since we we don't see each other in person right now, I've been following all their stuff on you know on Instagram and you know, recording and all that sort of stuff. So what's what's the details, man? Well, yeah, I mean everything that I've been posting about is all like old shit, right? So. I mean, I don't, I don't know if we talked after South of Heaven came out, the last photo no. crime. Film. No, we okay. So yeah, so that came out in March of, of 2020. And like, yeah, basically like I played, I did a tour of Mexico, which was a fucking amazing. And then um, played one show in the States and everything was canceled. And that was the day the record came out. And it just kind of, you know, it, I'm feeling more at peace now. Like at the time I, for most of last year, I just felt like, oh, this was a lost record because I didn't get to tour it. And, and, you know, you don't get that like direct interaction, you know, to like know how people are just, just, I don't know. There's just something about a show where you just feel like you're, you're connecting with the, the music with people and people buy the record and at the show and stuff yeah. like that. But, but, you know, I expressed that publicly a couple of times and had people reach out and, and just be like, you know, I'll, fucking dug this record you know rec music connects with people and and to whether it's <clears throat> hundreds or, or millions like it, it, it's meaningful and um so yeah man it was like it was interesting because that record it was like recorded in the new single i released last month is is outtakes from from that session and it was like i was kind of in all these different scenarios where like at the end of a huge European tour, actually exactly right. A, two years ago. Now I was in London for a couple of weeks, hanging out after a tour, staying there. And I had that like tour at post tour whiplash where I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I need to be doing music. Like I can't, you know, I can't yeah. just be going to museums and movies. Like I'm, I, I need to be, you know, it was weird. It's like that weird thing where you're like, suddenly you're not going 110 miles an hour. So I, I contacted a friend and, and got in touch with a studio in London, like a really DIY place. It was super cool. This guy named Simon Small. And um, went and recorded the two new songs I've been playing on tour with him. And that was really fun. 
And then like a month later, I was got invited to play like the first secret Jawbox reunion show because I'm really close with Jay Robbins and, you know, I usually record with him. And so I, I was like, oh, cool. Can I do a couple days in the studio with you before that? So we did a couple days then and I played that show and then flew home. And then, then I had this grand idea to record uh, with Steve Albini and had this like, you know, idea that like he just had so much history of, of doing electronic punk music, you know, or, you know, semi electronic punk music with big black. So long ago, I was like, it'd be really cool to do drum machine stuff with Steve. And I'd met him a little bit. Like my brother and I did a shellac show a long time ago in Louisville. And, you know, he and I have lots of mutual friends. And so I got in touch and he was really receptive and, and cool with it. But then as I thought about it, I was like, you don't go to electrical audio and not use the drum room. Yeah. That's you know? what I was just kidding. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, like that's just fucking stupid. So, um, so I got my friend Hayden that, that plays drums for the band Mets in Toronto. And he's just like one of those guys. It's like, like a, just a great basher, you know what I mean? Like the, that kind of guy that like every hit has just got power behind it. And he's really, you know, I really like just like, I don't want to say meat and potatoes because I, that's like undercutting who he is. Cause he's a really talented and inventive drummer. But like, I like just power behind the drums. Sure. And so, yeah, so I, I got him and I got Nick Thieneman from young widows, you know, oh, yeah. Nick, and he's, I know Nick, he's been yeah. in photo crime. And then this guy, Eric, who was in kerosene 454, who played guitar for photo crime in Europe. All of us converged in Chicago and, and learned these songs I'd written it was really stressful because it was like we were practicing in Russian circles, practice space with my PA kind of blasting like the click and the electronic elements and trying to get exactly synced up with that. And like the, I feel like the slower a tempo goes, the harder it is to sync up with it. Like there's that kind of like mid ground or that kind of pushing, but then sometimes when things start to get like a little slower, you know, it, it, like the, the, the natural tendency is not there. So like one of the songs was a bit slower and that was a huge challenge. Like I was like kind of freaking out, like, like what the fuck did I do <laughs> kind of thing, you know, and electrical audio is expensive with Albini. So we just had one day. So we were doing four songs, but, um, it all turned out really great, man. But that was, that awesome. was one day tracking and mixing all in one day. No, just one day of tracking okay. one day, all just right. tracking the basic instrumentals of one song. And it was super cool because we stayed the night at we stayed two nights at uh, electrical, so we got in the night before and, and just had the whole place to ourselves and we got to pull out all their drum kits and try them out and decide what we wanted to use and just it was really fun, man. It was like just because it's a such a cool space just to kind of have it to yourself was really fun. And then in the morning we just woke up and we were there and setting up and Steve rolls in and kind of you know, he, he's who he is, you know, he's kind of intentionally quirky, you know? And, uh, well, I, I don't really know how Steve is cause I never met the man. So yeah, I, know, I mean, I know that he's a bit of an icon, you know? So what, right, what, like, what is he like actually, you know, you know, he, he's in my experience because he's not my friend. He's just a guy I met a couple times. He's very no nonsense. 
like an email, he's, he's always straightforward and helpful. And I've emailed with him a couple times since then, but he doesn't, you know, he's not like your buddy, you know, he's not like, and you can tell that he's not invested in knowing your songs or knowing much about you. And he doesn't give a shit like what your, what instrumentation you're, he doesn't care about like your amp or whatever. He, he's there, like he says, to document the shit. And, and I, it's not in a cold way, but it's like his job is to do great mic placement and great recording to tape. And his intention is, is he says, and as I've read from him is that he wants it to go to tape to the point where when you mix it, it's essentially done, you know, like your tones are there. And, um, so it's cool, man. He, he's, he was nice and, you know, he would be like, oh, this sounds great. But he, he's not, um, you know, he's not bubbly. He's very straightforward and very mellow. And, um, like my brother happened to come into town because like he was starting a tour that day and he dropped by and he said, he said something like, Hey, I said, Hey Steve, this is my brother, Evan. He goes, Hey, we've met before. And Steve said something, you know, like I was informed that, or just something very funny like that. Like it wasn't like, I remember that show. Thanks. Or anything. it was like, I was informed that you, that we were met, that we met before, you know? And so he, he's like that. And, and, um, and then at the end of the night, I asked him if he had the big back black drum machines anymore. Cause you know, it was famously called Roland. Right. And I said, do you still have that? And he goes, I think I do. And, and he opened up the room. That's kind of like their storage room and like their little, their like workbenches for soldering things and stuff. And he found the drum machine, pulled it out of a box, told me all about it. Let me take a photo of him with it and, you know, and him and me and, and it was really nice, man. He, and he wasn't excitable, but he told me every bit of information and wasn't, you know, didn't roll his eyes or anything. So it, it was cool. I mean, that was, and that was like a little bit of like personality and like real history. And we talked about it and, and, and since then I found a drum machine that I thought, cause it's an emu drumulator that they use at the end. And I found one that had very similar modifications and I bought it and was like, Hey, you told me there were two, two big black, big black drum machines and you only have one of them. Is this the other one? And he kind of like told me all this stuff, but didn't say whether it was or wasn't. And I wrote email again. I go, Oh yeah, cool. But like, is this it? He's like, Oh no, 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 no. But, um, but he wrote me right back and he's super cool. And, and, uh, so it was great, man. You know, and, and like, there, I mean, I'm not going to say there's nobody better than him at, at recording drums, but like, there's nobody like him, yeah. you know, it's like, he does that thing. And it was very hard for me because like how he, we were in a big rush and I was stressed, but it was very hard for me to get a concept of the performance while we were tracking because something about the way he brought up the playback was very like harsh sounding, which is how his music is. And like, I don't, his music is, I really love, but it's hard for me to listen to. Like sometimes it's hard for me to listen to big black because the sounds are so abrasive. It's, yeah, it's so, very in your face and you know, yeah, definitely. like the guitar is all, and that's the intention, but it's very, that's like not what I like to hear and not what my, what feels good to my ears. So I don't listen to that stuff a lot, but 
there was a little bit of that with the playback of like it was a little bit harsh in our tracks and and i was kind of like looking to the guys to be like okay what do you think you know is this working and which is a weird position to be in because i'm like the guy who's it's my band it's my songs and and once again these are all my friends but they're all just showing up for a couple days to track this shit like they don't have you know they don't have skin in the game like you know like they don't they don't like have emotional connection to this music like i do so it was pretty stressful man but it but it worked out really well and and i think i got the best of both worlds because from there i flew with i actually took the tapes because i thought they would bounce the tapes down the two inch there but what they do is kind of like they charge you for that like studio time and steve doesn't do it so they'll wait till they have like a day day's worth of tapes to bounce to digital oh, right wow. so like so he was so the, the the studio assistant was like yeah i might not do that for two weeks and i was like oh well fuck i'm flying to to jay robin's studio the next day so i flew with the reels which was like very uh Felt very like classic rock and roll story, you know, like yeah, it's like some I'm, like Led I'm, Zeppelin, you know, totally, man, you know. And I'm asking Steve, I'm like, uh, you know, like, is it okay if this runs through the fucking X-ray? He's like, yeah, that's fine, but like, show them what it is and don't let them pull it out because, like, what if they pull it out and yeah. it like, unspools? And I was like, oh, oh good point. So you know, he's like, he's like, carry it on. So it's on you. And I was like, okay. And that was really nerve wracking because unlike digital, which we've all been doing for so long, there was no fucking backup. No, man. That's what I was thinking too, that you got all the goods right there. Right. Yeah. Like there was no backup whatsoever. Like I've got that reel, like everybody's gone home. You know, I spent thousands of dollars with people flying there and, and, you know, all that kind of shit. Like, (laughs) and I've got this only thing. So that was really exciting. Then I get to Jay's and we're going to do, I don't remember how many more songs we did, maybe like four or five more songs. And we did like the mixing for the whole album. And I did the, like the vocal overdubs and the Albini shit. And with the Albini stuff, I, I recorded all the electronic elements um, simultaneously with the live music. So we recorded, but I only had four outs from my computer and my interface so basically we have like a four tracks of electronic elements. Mm-hmm. And so that would be like the click, like maybe stereo synths and one other thing. And you know, when you do electronic music, you know, you just start getting like so many tracks, right? <laughs> because it doesn't yeah. matter. So that was really nerve wracking. I'm like, okay, I basically have to sum these down. I have this many options. Like, you know, and, and I had to keep in mind that like if there's wow and flutter and if, if we lose the exact bpm while bouncing down to waves i can't just dump in the electronic tracks yeah from from my my recording software so that was super nerve-wracking and so when i got to jay's there was like we couldn't get it exactly on you know because there's you yeah, know there's late, like more, latency and all that right sort of stuff yeah. there's more pull like the, the tape pulls a little bit uh you know faster in the beginning and shit like that so we were going song by song for these four tracks and adjusting it by like percentage points on Jay's tape machine to, to get it. And we did get it, but it was fucking nerve wracking. Like basically spent like a whole day doing that. And 
it was insane, man. And then, and then we did some other stuff with Jay's sessions where I assembled a band of me, Jay, Darren Zintek, who drummed for Kerosene 454 and a bunch of other bands, and this dude, Chris, who plays keys with Clutch a lot. And we kind of jammed and made up these songs around synth sequences that I'd done that were kind of like, kind of like Public Image Limited album era vibe yeah and so we did that and that was really wild too so we we just kind of jammed for a day with these guys and then i took all the recordings and edited them together and that was another thing where i was like what the fuck am i doing i'm just like jamming in the studio i'm gonna run out of time and money and like (laughs) and i still haven't done anything with those songs because they're like they're super cool, but they're really hard for me to get my head around vocally because they're so different than anything else I've done. Um, so it was wild, man. So the whole fucking process of recording this record was like, you know, London, two sessions in Baltimore, Chicago, all these different people. And it was really fun. And in the, in the end, long story short, is that like I'm so fucking stoked I did all that shit because the record didn't get toured. Like I, I almost, I play, I, I played six or seven shows of, of the, those songs. And then that was it. So that record didn't get a life of touring. Like normally the records come to life and you associate all that time with the touring and those songs with that. And instead it became this, this existence of making the record, which I've never really had before that the, the, for me, the experience of the record is absolutely the making of it and all the little adventures, not the the traveling on it and the like the the you know the other side of it. So that was I'm really glad I did that in hindsight actually. Yeah, that that's the thing, man. It's like we hadn't really spoken about it and, and I knew that there was like a really cool story behind it, you know, just you know, observing all the stuff that was going on, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was fucking cool, man. It was a great experience, and like all these cool people involved, and and you know, there are other things like sending tracks to friends. Like my friend Ellie, uh, she performs as Corecast, and she's a, she plays harp, and so she played harp on a song, and like it, it was a pretty wild thing, and it's kind of actually advantageous in some ways that I didn't tour on it because I did have a little bit of a feeling when it was all said and done of like. Photocrime is a, you know, 50% electronic band. And here I've gone and had these like big, huge live Albini drums. How do I recreate that live? Like if I'm doing that with no drummer, like I've always done, that's going to be an odd sound coming out of the PA because it's not electronic drum machine. So it kind of worked out well that it, that it is what it is. And, uh, the record became like more rock than I would, than I think I have in mind for photocrime conceptually. But it, it, once again, it all just became this, this piece. And like, I can look at some positivity, you know, like, like I'm not glad that tours got canceled or anything, but, I, but I'm, I'm glad that the record was this unique thing that had live elements that I probably won't do again uh, because it's, conceptually not exactly what I'm what I see photocrime being you know 
Yeah, it's weird, man, because it just becomes like this weird abstraction. Right. You know what I mean? It's like it exists. And I, I, I mean, a kind of a similar thing happened to us, too. Like we put out an EP in a full length last year and have yet to play any of those shows in front of a live audience. I mean, any of those songs in front of a live audience. Yeah. You know, and it's like and I mean, we've we did some of these, you know, we did a, we did two of these, uh, you know, l recorded video live uh, you know, pieces where it's like yeah. a live performance, like, you know, they're real performances and they're, they're filmed and recorded and everything, but there's no one there. It's just like the crew recording us. And, um, right. And, and even that is like weird because I'm like, wow, it's like, it's like a dress rehearsal. It's like an extended sound check or something like that, you know? And, and it's, it's like these songs still don't really exist to me because we haven't actually been out in front of people playing them, you know? Right. I mean, that's, yeah, that's super weird. I mean, it, it, it I, I don't uh, like it, man. I don't, I don't like that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like it at all, to be honest. Well, you know, and, and I will say that like, I had to like re in the last year, I've been recording more music and, and getting way more into recording at home and learning about it and, and have, basically have a new record finished that I did all myself at home and was very thankful that I was like a one man band, you know, that I didn't need anybody else and that I could do all this myself and also had to like totally rearrange my brain and think, not think like, how will this be executed live? Or will this sound cool live? Or what will people think? Not that I like worry about what they think, but there's just that kind of thing. Cause you're so used to playing music for people that Sometimes even when you're making a part, you imagine an audience. Oh yeah, you know? absolutely. And, for sure. Yeah. You know, that's, it's, that's it's like, I'm not like, yeah. right. I'm not like, will they love it? Will they like me? But I'm like, oh, you know, you like, you just kind of intrinsically imagine a, an audience bobbing their head or whatever the fuck else. And I just kind of had to think like, I don't know when that will come back, man. I just got to erase that from existence. And this is purely for me, which has always been the goal for photo crime. But like, really really get there and be like i don't fucking like i can't have any concept that anyone will ever hear this and it's been interesting and since then since i finished it i've been also trying to like get into this mindset which i'm kind of going back and forth with above like just making some sound for myself and not thinking like is this going to be a song is this going to be an album because I also realized like realistically I can't release like fucking, I can't release an album a year. I'd love to, but I can't. And I need to just, like, I still want to make sound all the time and I just need to just make sound for myself and enjoy it and maybe record it and listen to it on my own, but not worry about it being released or like where it'll go or even like if I'll finish it, you know? Yeah. It's funny. I, I kind of been doing the same thing, man. It's like, I've been working on this um, other project for over a year, and uh, it, it's, it's basically, I've done 22 demos right now. And wow. I haven't, and there's only like three, three things that I think, like at the 20, at the 19th demo, I'm like, oh, this is what the band sounds like. You know, it's like, right. it's like the first like 10 or just could be tuned songs, and then like the next like, six like were terrible and and then like in the around 18 or 19 i'm like oh this is like what it's actually going to be 
you know right and then totally now it's like oh okay well this is like the the sort of boundaries or or lack of boundaries or this is the environment that i'm going to be working in with this thing and um yeah i mean so like there's like 22 pieces of sound or music whatever you want to call it that only a very small percentage of that stuff might actually be be completed in some way you know and and it's good it's good to do that i mean it's just you know like the last years everyone or everyone got their worlds got really small so it's good to experiment with these kind of with no no pressure on you i guess yeah i mean you know i i think i'm sh- it's interesting in like the the musical medium like obviously we like might play guitar or whatever and, and you know it's just for ourselves but you know i gotta think that like well we know that like painters probably paint tons of shit that no one's ever sees right or they they paint for a, a a day and then they throw it away or they paint over it and i think with us like it becomes so like goal oriented and i've always been so fucking goal oriented that yeah i'm like you know and i fucking i hate the part of i hate the part of selling music and trying to get into people, get it, people into it. And I hate the social media part of it and stuff. It's like, I'm, I'm just trying to like, yeah, just, just make it like, like you're saying, it's like, just, just fucking paint the painting. <laughs> like, you know, and, and like the, there are other parts, the act of it is, is as important as anything else. And I think that's like hard to get to sometimes when you're like a, you know, quote unquote career musician. I love all that though. The the inner the sort of the I've always really been into process, like the process of stuff, you know. Like that's yeah. why I like watching all of the extras on DVDs and everything. And they you know, they, they whip out the uh storyboards for, you know, for the different scenes and all that and you know, they talk about, you know, all the different minutiae that goes into making a film project. And I think and you know, I, I a lot of people I know of, you know, we've gone to art school and have a practical thing going on with their art. And I see all the sketches they make and all these different things that never get finished. And, and I like, I, I, I always try to incorporate that, man. It's, I always think about writing songs the same way. It's cool. You know, yeah. just things that never get used or like you write something and then it doesn't go anywhere. But then like a year later, you're like, Oh, I need a bridge. And you just pull that thing in. And it works. You know, it's right. It's like, I, I that's, I think I like that more than actually like finishing songs in some ways, just throwing ideas against the wall. You know, it's like such a cool, like freeing sort of experience. Absolutely. You know, I, I do, I love like, and actually the record I just finished is like similar where like there's, there's things that a couple of songs that were like from maybe 2015, 2016, when I was just starting photo crime and they just, they didn't work or I didn't, I couldn't conceive of how to get them to click. And then, then they do. And I, I kind of love that too. Like you're saying, it's like you, you, you come back to something and that was cool or, or wasn't right or didn't work or you couldn't finish or just was what it was. And you can perceive it in a different way. I really love that because once music is released that I've made, I always fucking hate it. <laughs> oh, I can't listen to it, like, man. Yeah. For sure. I'm just, I'm just like, ugh. but like, if it hasn't been released, I can come back to it and have a really like clear perspective on it. Like, Oh, this is good. Or it sucks because there's no, like, it doesn't matter either way. So I can come back and, and if it's good, I can make it, I can use it or whatever. And I, I like that. Like, 
that's something I've been toying with a lot lately is just like, at what do I, sometimes I just feel like, do I need to release music? Like it's just what, you know, what makes me the happiest? Like I really, I love putting out records and I love the whole procedure and I love touring and I love listening to people's records and I know that people appreciate it, but I still like when the record is done and it's just for me, that's always my favorite time. And I just, I don't know. I just really love that so much that like it gets harder and harder to give that up yeah. to, like, to, to make it not only mine. Now I hear you, man. It's like, that's like the greatest feeling. Like, like for me, it gets even more specific with like, because we, go to Alan Duchess like every year or not every year, Mm -hmm. whenever we make a record. So for me, it's, there's this whole thing around finishing the record where it's like, okay, Alan, I'm coming. I'll be there at noon. Make sure you got the coffee on, you know, you need anything on the way over. And like we sit down, we bullshit for like an hour. And then like at the end of the day, we, I have this thing and I listen to it. I'm like, man, this is, it's finally done. It's finally over with, you know, this whole thing is done. And, you know, my parents don't live too far from where his, his like studio is, so I always drop in on them and have dinner, and it's like this whole thing, and it's so awesome, and and that's when I'm like, then I can't listen to it anymore after that. Right. <laughs> and it's like yeah. I heard this enough times in my lifetime, and now it's time to actually perform this thing in front of people. You know. Absolutely, man. I mean, yeah, I have like a that that I always. I always feel like music that I, for me, like the music I make is the music I want to hear most. Like that's my goal is I want to make, I want to make something that I personally want to hear that's somehow different than everything else. I'm, I'm, you know, like I can't, the record I make, I can't find that exact record anywhere else and I want to hear it and it's what I want to make. And of course I love making the sounds and stuff, but then and there's that. And so I listen to it a fucking ton and then there'll always be that point where I'm like, oh, okay, I, it just, it turns for me, you know? And sometimes it's before it's released even where I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. Like I've, I've exhausted it and okay, now it's on to something else, but it's interesting, man. And I don't, I don't, you know, maybe there's some ego in it, but maybe it's just like satisfaction and feeling good about something you did. I mean, I, I don't know, but it's that process of it is really magical. And it's kind of like so separate from the like, mechanics of like promoting a record and selling it and streaming it and all that stuff you know that stuff just isn't isn't cool (laughs) i got got like one really burning question that i've had for years actually and it's like all through all the other bands that i've known you to play in your coliseum you know uh national acrobat you know black cross you've always had this pile of amps on stage you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like uh, whenever I saw you perform, there's always like this two full stacks at the minimum, you know? How has that transition been for doing what you do in photo crime? Well, I think, I think I was on that path anyway because like by the end of Coliseum for the last couple of years, I was, I was using essentially like three amps. On my side, I was using like... Uh, JC made hundred and then a twin. And then on the, uh, on like Kahan side, on the bass side, I was using like a, another combo or some, sometimes like a, a head, like for a while I was using a Varelin head and, and cabinet, but usually like some other amp over there. And I was doing stereo switching and, and I even had a point where I was like 
could switch each amp on and off. So I had kind of like yeah. three amps to, and all that stuff was really fun, but it, also like it gets really tiring. And there's a point when I'm like running cables and plugging in heads and I'm like, you know, I'm just, I'm not tired of loading the gear. I'm just tired of all this bullshit I got to do to set up and break down and stuff. And so on, so on one hand, I kind of made it even worse with photo crime because when I tour with other people, I have my own PA. So we have this, like these two huge 215 with horn Yamaha speakers. So those are, you know, those are essentially like the full stack and that's the drum machine and all that shit. And then there's a combo. And then I also have a keyboard and I have lights that I control my feet. So it's like, I'm actually more tied up in cables than before. So, <laughs> you know, the, the sonics of it are not like that different. There have been tours where I played alone and there, and I did do like that show. You saw me that, that, uh, festival in denver yeah the one in denver yeah that fly-in like i was playing all direct like my guitars are direct everything yeah. and that's a challenge i think that's one of those things you start to learn in europe like you know when you first go to europe and you're like we got to turn down the amps you know and like after like a year of battling with sound people in europe you're like just just learn to play at a volume where the the pa does the work you know and and that's a talent too i think that's a talent you got to learn to like do a fly in and jump up on a back line and like make that amp your own. And that's something I had to learn how to do is like, just like we all do is like, how do I make this sound, this guitar sound like me, no matter what amp it is. And I think I got pretty good at that. And that's kind of an extension of that. And that my love of playing music, I love all the toys and I love all the like sound, but like ultimately it's like the songs and it's singing. So it's like, especially with photo crime, it's like all the sounds are me. It's like all my songs. So it's like, if I'm playing to a partial backing track, that doesn't feel disingenuous to me because that's my fucking music. I made that shit, you know? And, and every note you're hearing on stage is something I made. I'm something I've, some of it I'm making in the moment. And ultimately it's about like performing to me is about like singing and expressing it in that way. You know, like the show is almost more about singing to me while like recording is more about playing the instruments, if that makes sense. And like, so yeah, the, the transition has been not that weird, but it, it's it's definitely interesting and it's different, man. Like I think each thing you got to learn more. And I, I found that like the more I have going on on stage that I have to do, the more like elements and functions, the more I enjoy the show because I I... I get out of my head more and I'm not worrying about like, are people enjoying it? Like what's the mix? Like I'm more like, okay, I got to play the guitar and I got to hit this light and I got to hit this keyboard note. And like, and even like in something in like the artifice of photo crime, like the sunglasses, I don't have to worry about like, yeah, I can look at my guitar and I don't feel self-conscious of like, Oh, I'm staring at my guitar the whole time. I don't, I don't feel like I have to, engage or I don't like I would see so many photos of myself singing in Coliseum where my eyes were always closed and my face was scrunched and as like a self-conscious person I'm like oh I hate that and then like the sunglasses just give you this like this blank thing like one of the you know so 
sorry, this is like rambling, but like, no, you know, no that's interesting actually. Cause like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, all that stuff I think is really interesting. You know, like in, in cool hand Luke, the, like, he's not the warden, but he's, he's the, the dude they call walking Mephistopheles, like the fucking, the dude with the shotgun when they're on the chain gang, you know, like in that movie, the dude's got those mirrored sunglasses on and there's like, I can't remember which character he, he's some like biblical or, uh, God, I can't remember which character he's supposed to represent like mythically, but like basically the concept is that he has no eyes, you know, and in the end he, his, his glasses come off and he's kind of looks like this. I think he gets shot or something. He's like very defeated and looks very weak and frail, but like up till that point, he's just kind of like impenetrable character. And that was like one of the things that inspired the sunglasses of just like, I want to be detached from me. I don't want my eyes. I don't want that like connection to me or, or like my infallibility. Like I want to feel like completely out of myself when I'm making this music and it really succeeds, man. Like I, <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I just, I, I'm able to like, disconnect and not feel self-conscious for the most part and like and that plus all the functions of like okay here's the strobe light switch and here's the floodlight switch and here's the fucking you know the keyboard and all that kind of stuff like it it's actually a very similar thing to the coliseum stuff it's just not like not as many amps you know I mean, the only thing i do really miss is like i miss stereo guitar like i really that's the only thing that i that sonically is hard for me to like give up is like run, I run stereo from like mono into a, a old boss stereo delay and stereo from that to a clone theory chorus. And like that sound is like my sound and like just hearing that wide stereo. I, I miss that, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. It's funny now that you uh, went, you give the, gave the rundown. I'm like, well, actually uh, the only thing that you just kind of spread out, the function among right. all these different components instead of it just being amps, like having like, you know, all these amps on stage. Totally. I mean, there's, there's, it's funny. And, and I, I still hate it. Like where I'm still like, I hate setting it up. Right. <laughs> you know, I love of using course. it. Like, you know, I'm like, God, it's like, it's like, I, I have a 12 string that, that, that photocrime toured with a little bit. And, and, and like very quickly, I'm like, dude, a 12 string is for like, that's for fucking Pink Floyd, like that's for a ro somebody with a roadie, you, yeah. you know, like yeah, like right. tuning 12 strings and like, even if you tune it before the show and you pick it up to play the song, it's something's going to be out of tune and, and they're unforgiving because they have the, they have to be in tune with themselves. And so it's funny shit like that. Like I, I fucking hate that stuff. Like I, one of my dreams is always to like, to have success so I can do more things. I'm like, God, I'd love to have a cool stage set and I'd love to like, have the lights be more extensive, but not have to be the person that sets them all fucking up. You know, like, you know, I love all that. Like that's an extension of the design and the art and all that kind of stuff. I would love to do all that shit. Those are the only things that I like really dream of, you know, in terms of like having more growth or opportunity in a show. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I mean, yeah, that that's, that's cool that it's like always just making it more of what it already is, you know, like kind of expanding on what you have and growing that way. That's really cool. Yeah, that's the idea for sure. Yeah. 
Well, thanks, Ryan. Uh, you, we've had a pretty epic uh, discussion here. <laughs> Absolutely. It's awesome. That's great, man. And yeah, like, aside great. from, you know, being, being a guest on the show, I really um, happy to have had a chance to talk to you um, about a bunch of different stuff, which was cool. Yeah, it was awesome, man. I, I loved it. I felt like this was, of all our podcast interviews, I felt like this was one of the more like uh, conversational. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Well, you know, this is uh, back on my own thing here. It's not the one for Gimme Radio. So it's okay. more free form, more, you know, personal, I guess. Nice. All right. Thanks a lot, everyone. Take care.
Always hell, it's always hell, always hell, it's always hell.